and let's let's start with a word of prayer father in the name of jesus christ we thank you for today we thank you for your presence that is always with us thank you for the um supply of your spirit lord we ask today that as we learn from you uh, may you speak to us guide our hearts into the truth teach us by yourself and let every chain that needs to break break and let every impartation that needs to occur occur from your word in the name of jesus christ thank you lord for in jesus name we have prayed amen all right um just just for the record sometimes it feels very quiet from my own end because i can't see anybody i can't hear anybody uh so i i i literally have to walk by faith right now okay that's fine but please let me know if you can hear me if you're on insta not instagram if you're on mixlr or on um zoom please let me know if you can hear me just drop a comment um so i'm so i am sure we're together for those of us on mixlr and on zoom please drop your comments um just confirming that you can hear me and you can see me for if you're on, on zoom all right while we're doing that um while we are doing that, we would start off with um, two scriptures just to give context for today's study. So please, I've not seen our com your comments yet on any, okay, good. Okay, thank you. Uh, on Zoom, I see your comments. Thank you, you can hear me on Mixlr. Yes, I see your comments, you can hear me, thank you. All right, um, so today we're looking at what I call um, peace extinguishers. It was after I, I selected the topic that I, I started feeling like we, it was a little bit of grammar. But yeah, I'm sure we understand what that means. Peace extinguishers, uh, meaning things that um, turn off our peace or blow away our peace, you know. And I want to look at that because I, I'm going to share scripture to, to, to help explain this. But we're looking at this because even though um, we can resist the devil, or even though we can rebuke the devil. I know last week we learned, one of the things we learned was to uh, rebuke the wind, the wind of anxiety, the wind of fear, and all of that. So meaning the spiritual force behind um, whatever is opposite to peace. And that is, a, that is possible, and there's a place for that. However, there are other times when there are physical events that open the door for anxiety to come in, for fear to come in, and on for all of these things to occur. So I want to look at those fiscal activities or fiscal events and then how we can deal with them, all right? So I want to read two scriptures from the Bible that will help us um, understand what we are looking at today, just to give um, credence to this, to this discussion. So first of all, I want us to read um, James chapter four, verse seven. And then we'll read Ephesians chapter 4, verse 27. So let's start from the book of James. Um, apologies, there are no slides today. Um, I couldn't get them ready in time for Bible study. Um, but yeah, just enjoy my face. Um, James chapter 4, verse 7, right? It says um, something we are very com we are very familiar with, rather. Um, it says, um, where is my James? Okay, there you go. So it says, submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil and he would flee. So 
in this scripture, we are encouraged, first of all, to submit ourselves to God. And as regards the devil, we are encouraged to resist the devil. Right. So I want to pay particular attention to our responsibility towards the devil in these scriptures. So the first one is in this scripture, the first thing we see is to resist the devil. So there is a place for resisting the devil. And the Bible lets us know that he would flee. All right. And that is super important. And we looked at this last week right this was one of the things we looked at last week resisting the devil okay resisting the spirit and the influence behind it and that's fantastic but then let's also go to Ephesians chapter 4 verse 27 and see another possibility and another responsibility that is us as regards um dealing the dealing with the devil Ephesians chapter 4 verse 27 says is a short verse it says neither give place to the devil. And, and for context, you can read the pre- preceding verses and the um, succeeding verses, right? But I just want to emphasize on that verse 27 that says, neither give place to the devil. And if you read it from other translations, like NIV says, I believe says, do not give the devil a foothold. Um, in other words, don't give the devil space in your life. Don't give the devil an opportunity in your life. So there is a part of resisting the devil, right? But then there's also a part where you should not give him a place in your life. And, and the first part talks of an active um, action. The second one is a passive action. So the first part, resisting the devil, is an active action. You have to do it. But the second scripture, which is what we just read now, inclines more towards a passive action, which, is say, which says don't give the devil a foothold. What this means is that if you are not intentional about it, you can unconsciously give the devil a foothold. And the devil is a very smart person. So he will take every opportunity that you afford him, whether actively or passively, all right? And this is what I want us to look at today, not giving the devil a foothold. And you know, what what this means is that there are certain activities we do or certain things we permit in our lives or certain experiences we allow that gives the devil a foothold. And what the scripture is saying to us is that we should not give the devil a foothold. We should not allow for such <clears throat> for such experiences to occur. Um, you know, when it comes to our faith work with God, there are two dynamics we need to understand. Um, there's the, or, or two components, like I, I put it. There, there's the power component and there's the wisdom component. All right. So meaning that there's there's what we need to address with the power of God, and that is. In, on the same side with, you know, rebuking the devil, that is the demonstration of God's power and authority. Rebuke the devil, that's a, an expression of the power component. But then there's also the wisdom component, which, um, which does not always look spectacular or dramatic, right? It may come as something natural, like a, as an advice that is natural, but it guarantees result. And this is what we want to look at today, uh, meaning the wisdom component of maintaining our peace. Um, yes, we can rebuke the devil if he's if he's the force behind your peace, but if you also don't know how to protect your heart or how to guard your life, the enemy will still come back. The same person you rebuked yesterday might still find a road into your house today, um, into your heart today, if you are not careful. A very practical example uh, is this, and if you live in Nigeria, you probably have this experience so many times you might come and find out there are mosquitoes everywhere in your house or in your room and you're wondering oh where these mosquitoes come from and then you decide to spray insecticides or fumigate your house and the mosquitoes go away 
But if your window, for instance, doesn't have a net and you leave your windows open or your door, you leave your door open and there's no net or any, any kind of protection, the same mosquitoes that you killed, I mean, maybe those ones died, but their children or their uncles or nephews or cousins will still find access into your house because you left a door open or you left a window open. And this is what I'm talking about. So in this example, the power of God, for instance, is likened to that insecticide that destroys the mosquitoes. But if you don't have the wisdom to close the entrances that allow mosquitoes to come in, you will always keep seeing the mosquitoes and you keep you keep rebuking the devil, you keep resisting, you will go temporarily, but you come back because there's always an open door for him to come back. All right, so we want to look at some very practical things that happen to us that gives the devil a foothold to um, affect our peace and then how what we can do to um, to deal with such instances, all right? So I, and again, just, just heads up, I really would love um, to hear from us um, today, just hear our practical experiences, because I believe that a lot of what I will share, um, we've experienced it at one point or the other, and I would love to hear from us um, as we proceed. All right, so let us start with, um, so we're going right into the study. So what are some of these peace extinguishers, or what are some of these things that that we allow or permit in our lives that gives the devil a foothold. Um, let me start with the second thing on my list, just because just I want to start with that. But So I'm going to make it the first thing. So the first thing here is that one of the things that occurs to us that gives the devil a foothold is when we are in places or situations or relationships or events that God did not lead us to, right? Meaning, now let me take that again. So when you are in situations or you're in events or you're in relationships or you're in a job or you're in a business or you are in a city or you are in any kind of setting that God did not lead you to, that automatically gives the devil access to your peace and your peace. In fact, as a healthy believer, you should, you, your, you should not feel peace or you should not experience peace in your heart when you are where God hasn't sent you to. And if you not take that further, the enemy also, aside just your heart being um, nudging you that you're in, in, you out of alignment with God, if you persist on that path, what happens is that the enemy finds a legal ground to trouble you. And this is what happens a lot of times. You know, the Bible says where we read in... Um, in James chapter 4, verse 7, it says, submit yourselves to God. And then second thing he says is resist the devil and he will flee. So the first part is a prerequisite for the second part to happen. Meaning if you don't submit yourself to God or if you are not in alignment with God, what will happen is that the enemy will have a free way or free access into your life. And even if you try to rebuke him, he will not go because he has access into your life. All right. And this is a very legal um, experience. So the, one of the reasons why people lose their peace a lot of times or one of the things that, that they do that allows them to allows the enemy to infiltrate their lives and affect their peace is being in a situation that God did not lead you to. And we can spend the whole of this Bible story talking about it, being in a job that God did not lead you to, even if he's paying so much, or being in a city that God did not lead you to, or being in a relationship, or being friends with somebody, or forming an alliance with somebody that God is not leading you to, it will cost you your peace. It will definitely cost you your peace. 
All right. Because you begin to find out that you'll be running on, you won't be running on grace. You'll be running on your own efforts. So imagine, for instance, um, I wake up tomorrow and say, oh, that's just, I mean, this country Nigeria is, I'm tired of it. I want to relocate to Amsterdam. All right. And God is not leading me. I have not checked on, checked, checked in on with God to know what he thinks. I just decide based on my own earthly parameters to relocate to Amsterdam. What will happen is that when I go there, you, I'll notice that I'll be struggling to find a job. I'll be struggling to get a good house. I'll be struggling even to just meet nice, good people. I'll see that there'll be so much struggle and I'll not be comfortable. Any little, um, any little unfortunate things that, uh, unfortunate thing that happens in, in Amsterdam, in the whole of Amsterdam, I would begin to picture myself in the light of that event. I'll begin to picture that event happening to me and I'll be so worried. I'll be anxious and I'll lose my peace. That is because... I, was, I went to a place that God was not leading me to. Now, it is not even the environment that is the problem because God can lead you to places that are, humanly speaking, dangerous, but because he's leading you there, there's protection, there's provision, there's all of that. So it's not the atmosphere or the environment that is the real issue. The real issue is, am I in where God sent, has sent me? Maybe I should bring this home a little closer. You might even, it might even be a job opportunity that pays you times four of what you're currently earning. And with it, so you is almost a no-brainer. But if you take that offer that and God is not leading you to leading you into it, then I can tell you for sure that you're going to lose your peace. Not just or not only as a sign of your spirit nudging you that you're out of alignment with God, but also as a as a window that you've opened for the devil to come into your life. And some of the, sometimes what, what, what happens is the enemy, because of that act of misalignment or disalignment, right? Um, the enemy finds access into other areas of your life. So you might be out of alignment in your job, but that that case of, of misalignment will give the devil access even to your finances, right? Or even to your health or even to your business, and you're wondering what is happening to me. The reason is that you are out of alignment on that particular thing. So it's a dangerous thing to be out of alignment, right? Um, to be in where God is not sending you to, or to be where in a relationship that God is not, is not leading you to. Maybe because the lady is very beautiful and all your, all your friends have said, you know, she looks like the one you and her just match, you fit perfectly. In fact, someone goes ahead, to, to design, you know, a, a flyer for your wedding and already tells you this looks cute. And then you go into a relationship with her or with him and you see that, like we say in Nigeria, it's just basketballs, you know, um, all around. So you lose your peace once you're out of alignment. That's what I'm trying to say. And this is one of the, one of the strong reasons why um, people lose their peace, right? Because they are out of alignment. They are not in a place where God has asked them to be. Um, they are not in a, in a city or in a business or whatever it is, all right? So anything that is out of alignment will cost you your peace. And I cannot say this enough. Let me repeat it one more time. Anything you do that is out of alignment will eventually cost you your peace, all right? So if you're, you're experiencing absence of peace, all right? Um, loss of peace, maybe you should look at where you are currently and ask yourself, am I where God is sending me? Am I where God has asked me to be? Um, a practical example in the book, in the Bible is in the book of Jonah, Jonah himself, 
right? He decided to intentionally disobey God. And the experience of the sheep is enough to teach us a story. Give me one minute, please. All right. The experience that the sheep had was is enough to teach us the lesson of alignment because the whole sheep and everybody in it got into trouble because one man, Jonah, went out of alignment. And until Jonah was thrown out of that boat, there was no peace in that boat. And, you know, there are some things in your life you really have to throw out. It may be a friend you just brought into your life that you never really asked God if that person should be your friend or not. And that person has caused so much chaos. There's no solution. There's no prayer that would solve that thing except you throw it out. Sometimes, let me say it in a it may be difficult to accept, but sometimes it's yourself you have to throw out of the situation, all right? So you enter a job that or, or got, you know, accepted an offer um, in a company that God is not sending you to, you have to throw yourself out of that company for peace to be restored into your life. Or it might even be a relationship. You have to throw yourself out of that relationship for peace to be restored in your life. It may be a business. You have to throw yourself out of that business or a partnership or whatever it is, all right? But in cases like this, peace will not be restored unless there is alignment. And no matter how much you have believed God's promises for you or how much God has promised you, if you don't align yourself with his leadings, with his direction, with where he wants you to be part-time, you will lose your peace. You will lose your peace. And there's no, God will still love you, but that peace comes as a result of alignment. All right. So let this be an encouragement to someone out there. Um, let me read two, two passages of scripture before I move to the next point. Psalm 23 verse four. Let me just quote that because it's, it's a popular one. Psalm 23 verse four says, he leads me beside still waters. The still waters there is symbolic of the peace of God. Meaning every time God leads you, it will be beside still waters. It will be an experience of peace. So if you, and what this means conversely is that if you go where God is not leading you, there's no guarantee of still waters. So God's leading always comes with peace. God's leading always comes with stillness. But the moment you go outside of God's leading, there is absolutely no guarantee of peace. There is no guarantee of experiencing still waters. All right. Second scripture is, Isaiah chapter 43, verse 2. And it says, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. It says, when thou walkest through the fire, thou shall not be burned. Neither shall the flame kindle, neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. So when you go through experiences that normally would drown people or devour people, God is saying, if I am with you, right? Um, none, of that, none of that will happen. No negative thing will happen to you. You go through water, you'll not be consumed. You'll not be, um, you won't drown. You go through fire, you'll not be consumed. And the reason is, is not because fire has lost its heat, neither has water lost its ability to devour, but because I am with you. And God's presence is guaranteed when we are in alignment. Now I know God is everywhere, but there's an experience of God's presence that you will never have if you are not in alignment, you are not where God wants you to be, all right? So please and please um, do a check on your life. Are you where God wants you to be? Or, or, or is there, are you experiencing, have you lost your peace? Is there trouble around you and you can't really tell why? It may just be that, um, that something around you is out of alignment. And um, I encourage you to pray to God so he reveals it to you. That's if you don't already know, but 
um, praise God, so he reveals it to you and then you make the necessary adjustments. There's what is called the sacrifice of alignment. All right? And that is the price to pay for peace to reign in your life. So I said here that alignment is the great is our greatest guarantee of peace, not the absence of trouble. Alignment is our greatest guarantee of peace, not the absence of trouble. So what guarantees peace in our lives is not the absence of trouble, rather it is the presence of alignment, okay? All right, so that's the first thing um, that, that you know, we can open up our hearts I'll give the devil a foothold to tamper with our peace and steal our peace from us, all right? So um, we're going to the next thing, but again, just to give understanding again, um, understanding rather, um, for those that were here when I started, we're looking at things that we do or we allow that, are, that gives the devil access to tamper with our peace, that gives the devil access to steal our peace or to trouble us in various areas of our life. So the first thing we looked at is, um, you being out of alignment, you being in a place uh, that God did not lead you to, whether a geographic place, a, an emotional place, or a relationship place, or whatever a place will typify in your case, um, being in such a place that God did not lead you to. So the second thing is, is a quite an interesting one now. The second thing is having high maintenance relationships, all right? Um, and this is this is very practical because um, I believe almost everyone here can, at one point in, in your life, uh, mention a relationship you had that was just high maintenance. And when I say relationship, I don't mean, I don't necessarily mean you dated a person or not. It could just be a, a friend or a cosmate or a colleague or something, right? Or some, some form of relationship that was high maintenance. And what I mean by high maintenance is a relationship that um, is characterized by pride, by fear, by anger, by manipulation by any of those, those vices. So when you're in such relationships, it, can, it is so easy for your peace to be affected, all right? Um, it is so easy for the enemy to take advantage of, of those people in your life and always tamper with your peace. So just imagine you are with a, you have a colleague, for instance, who is always very hostile towards you. Um, you and, and you have to work together as a team. Anything you do, the person, wants to make you feel less than um, less qualified than you are or wants to make you, wants to make you feel inferior to, to them or to even the whole company. And they say things or do things that just want to invalidate your contribution to the team. If you are not careful, that person will be a channel of, of peace. Or I mean, that person could be a peace killer, could be a, a channel of peace extinguishing, you know, and, and we need to be conscious about it. You need to know what to do in such cases. Um, for some, it might be, I mean, more, more intimate, intimately now, it might be a person you are dating, might be a, a lady or a guy you are dating. And this person is just, is just a manipulative person. You know, my wife, <laughs> my wife tells me of someone at some point in her life that was just quite manipulative. And when she tells me these stories, I was like, I, I honestly can't believe a human being who claims, quote unquote, to love you, will act in this way. But then there are people like that. And especially if it's an if it's in an intimate relationship, um, say you're dating the person or is a family member, your sibling or your cousin, or somebody that is difficult to do away with, right? I mean, if it's your colleague, you can you can sort of try to ignore the person every opportunity you have. But if the person is closer than a colleague to you, it becomes more difficult, right? And um, and 
it can become a, a reason why you have anxiety or why you've lost your peace uh, and why you almost cannot just function normally. Um, and let me re- read us a very powerful scripture. And uh, I'll read the scripture for us before we continue. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 24. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 24. Let me tell you, let me show you what the Bible actually says. Um, Proverbs chapter 22. I want to read from the Passion Translation. So um, just give me a minute. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 24. So don't forget, I said high maintenance relationships. All right. So I'm going to read 22. Uh, 24, sorry, and 25, Proverbs chapter 22, verse 24 and 25. The Passion Translation says, walk away from an angry man. Meaning, if you see an angry man, don't even wait for an opportunity to bond with the person. Walk away. And, you know, sometimes you wouldn't know that the person is an angry person at your first meeting, right, which is fine. But the moment you discover that this person is an angry man, and what an angry man here means is, I don't just mean, I mean, the Bible doesn't mean somebody that gets angry. Everybody gets angry. But somebody that is given to anger, someone who doesn't have control over their anger, someone who's, you know, people that when they get angry, you cannot, you cannot, you can't match what they do versus who, versus who they are when they are not angry. You, you cannot relate it. The Bible says, walk away from an angry man or you will embrace a snare in your soul by becoming bad-tempered just like him. Meaning, if you don't dissociate yourself from an angry person, you will end up learning the person's anger. And this is the scary part because it is it's, it's bad enough for you to be to be in, in, um, in partnership or in relationship with an angry person. Worse than that, the Bible says that if you don't dissociate yourself, after it's just a matter of time, you, you learn your anger. That means this, for, for, for lack of better terms, the spirit of anger that is operational in them will rub off on you. And soon enough, you find yourself responding the way they would respond. Meanwhile, you know you're not that person. All right. And this is true not only for anger, but for any other vices. And that's why I, I just summarize it to, to call it high maintenance relationship. If the person is manipulative and the person always uses you know, blackmail to get things from you. You know, you can be with somebody, just imagine a friend now, maybe you're not even in a relationship, just a friend and the person you invites you for, um, let's say invites you to follow the follow her to go and shop, right? To go and shop. But you can't because maybe that Saturday you've already booked plans for other things and the person begins to say things like, but remember when you were sick, I was the one that was beside you in hospital. I came three times a week to give you food, but ordinary to follow me to shopping, to, to just buy a dress, you can't follow me. And you are wondering, how does my not following to the shopping mall relate with you being there for me in the hospital? Such manipulative tendencies, the Bible says, separate yourself from that person. And let me say the obvious fact, the obvious truth here is that dissociating yourself from relationships is not really the easiest thing to do, especially with with relationships, you know, Um, for several reasons, one of which is that there's usually an emotional connection or an emotional bond that has built over time. And if you are not, you have to tell yourself the truth that first of all, 
I have an emotional or sentimental bias towards this person. I really like this person. Maybe they helped you at some point in your life or they were there at a down moment in your life. That's the first truth you need to tell yourself. Then the second truth you need to tell yourself is that I actually can survive without this person. I can live without this person. Even though they were instrumental at this season of my life, it doesn't mean they should mortgage my life or cage me down um, for the rest of my life. So I can live with that with, without this person. You must tell yourself this, this truth. Third truth is that you must tell yourself this person is good, but is not good for me. All right? So there are, the person might be good for another person, quite all right. But you must tell yourself this person is good, but is not good for me. And if you can tell yourself these truths, it will help you to start the process of, you know, dissociating from such relationships. And there are really people that are high maintenance, people that if you don't, if you don't call them on their birthday, you forgot for some reason, or you, you were so busy and you, you just skipped your mind and you call them the next day, you spend the next two months apologizing for missing their birthday. You understand those, those kind of people that are high maintenance, people that if they help you with 5,000 Naira today, oh my God, you cannot, you cannot call them out on their, on, their, on their wrong behavior because they will keep reminding you of how they helped you with 5,000 Naira. You know, those kind of high maintenance relationships, you must dissociate yourself from them. The Bible says, and let me read the um, King James Version of where we just read now in Proverbs 22. Uh, I want to read that from King James Version, Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 20, 24 to 25. Proverbs 22, 24 to 25 says, Make no friendship with an angry man, and with a furious man thou shalt not go. So please, you know, this is my, my own litmus test, and this is what I say to myself, and I encourage you, that don't be in a hurry to call somebody your friend. And I know we use the word friend loosely, but I mean, I'm referring to like your close friend, your inner circle. Don't be in a hurry to admit somebody into your inner circle if you've not tested the extremes of their temperament, if you've not seen the extremes of their temperament. You've not seen somebody when the person is angry. Don't be in a hurry to call, call the person your friend because you might build a reputation that involves the person and the person will go out in anger and embarrass everything you've built every reputation you've built, right? All your reputation. The person's display of anger can crumble it. And that's why the Bible says, don't be friends with an angry man. Have you ever been in a situation where you see somebody act and you're like, you are, you are embarrassed by the person's action? Not because you are the one taking the action, but because you know the person. And the person's action has embarrassed you already. So the Bible says, don't be friends with an angry man for that reason. One and second in verse 5 says, um, least you learn his ways and get a snare to your soul. Uh, like I said earlier, you just adopt the person's lifestyle and, um, and you know, you become like that. So what do you do in such cases? Um, one thing you can do or one thing that is helpful, right, is understanding that, to understand that you can love somebody without being intimate with the person. You can love somebody, you can show somebody love, as the Bible encourages us to do to every single person now, but without necessarily being close to the person, all right? Especially if in cases where this person has hurt you repeatedly, or the person has displayed a kind of trait that you know you cannot accommodate for your, for your, for your livelihood, for your well-being, for your progress in life, you can't accommodate these traits anymore. But you know the person, I mean, we can't hate 
a, a, a person, the Bible doesn't encourage us to hate, all right? So you need to know you can love somebody from a distance without being intimate with the person, okay? Just the same way I can greet you from afar and I can maybe, if need be, send you money or, you know, help you, give you an, show you an opportunity or all of that, but without necessarily accommodating you into my close space for the sake of my sanity. So you must know that, that you can love somebody without being intimate with the person. You can forgive somebody without being intimate with the person, all right? Um, it might even be a colleague at work. As much as possible, you don't need to say hi to everybody in the office. I, I mean, you don't need to, when I say mean hi, I don't mean you shouldn't greet. I, I mean, you don't need to be in code in, you don't need to always, you don't have a relationship with everybody in the office. I put it that way. So if it's, if this person, for instance, is in the office, then maintain a professional relationship and let it end there and um, be, quick to point out or do not hesitate to point out the instances where the person is crossing a certain boundary that you have set for yourself, okay? Because something I've learned, right, is that there are two sets of people you must always confront. Never go quiet with them. Always confront them. Number one, manipulative people. People that are manipulative and, and corny in their relationship with you always call their bluff. Don't, don't keep quiet. Call them out on this and speak out about it. Once they know that you know what they are doing, they would really, really back off. Number two is bullies. People that try to bully you, whether bully you physically or bully you with their money or bully you with, in any way, don't keep quiet about it. Call them out on it. Once you can challenge a bully, the bully will know that they can't bully you any further, all right? Um, okay, so I hope that was helpful. Then um, second thing I think you can do for, or I suggest you can do for in with respect to high maintenance relationships is learning to say no to certain kinds of people in your life. You know, people that come with very nice words or very sweet personalities, and then they end up revealing something manipulative or something really wrong, or just have like things you cannot accommodate basically. You must learn to say no. It is not every offer that is your offer. And, you know, as it becomes tricky in some, if you, if in some cases, okay, let me, let me just say what's in my mind. Let me, let me not, I've been trying to be political. Okay, let me just say upright, right? So give a practical instance is if let's say um, a guy, for instance, is maybe getting to the age of 40, you know, and for most men, that age is like, wow, I'm getting old, I must marry. Um, if this guy, for instance, now meets a lady that lady is nice, everything is okay, you know, all of that, but she is manipulative, all right? You need to learn to say no to this kind of person from the start. It might even be um, a somebody that comes with a good intention, for instance, to say, oh, I want you to mentor me. And the person comes and says, oh, I, you know, I really respect you. You do this and you do that. I really love for you to mentor me. But this person doesn't have regard for your time. And every time the person, you know, every time you, you have a stand, you know, you correct the person or rebuke the person, the person becomes emotional and begins to tell you long story of how, oh, my parents died when I was 15 years old. I didn't have anybody. You are the only one that I look up to like a mother to me, you know, without you, I don't know what I'm doing this life. But the person doesn't, doesn't change what you are correcting or what you are addressing. At some point, you need to learn to say no to such people because they will ultimately drain you, all right? So what I'm saying in essence is learn to say no. Okay, so that's the second thing uh, people do. 
um, accommodating high maintenance relationships. This is a very broad topic because the, the instances or the, the um, applications vary, but I hope and I trust the Holy Spirit will explain it in your heart the way it fits to you. Okay, so that is the second thing um, on my notes here. All right. Now, the third thing, again, that people accommodate or people do that opens a window to the enemy is, is um, allowing past emotional, um, past emotional hurts or past mistakes or experiences to still weigh in on their lives, all right? So let me say the way I put it here. I said emotions from past mistakes or negative experiences. So when people still hold on to emotions from past mistakes, so somebody um, did a business deal and maybe person was not diligent enough to go through the document and ended up losing significant amount of money, that can result in a lot of regrets it can result in a lot of emotional hurt and pain. And if we don't let go of such, the devil will always capitalize on that to, to distort our peace. And the person, that person may never truly experience peace if they do not let go, okay? So emotions like guilt, regret, shame, and, 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 and the likes, if we do not let them go, they will always affect our peace, all right? So again, I said, um, third thing here is, um, emotions from past mistakes or negative experiences. So somebody, for instance, um, you know, somebody, for instance, made a mistake and it, it was genuinely a mistake, right? Because they didn't know better at that stage of their life. But now they know better. And every time they think of that incident, it hurts them. So let's say somebody... Um, went for a job interview, maybe with a top oil and gas company, for instance, that was really going to pay well. And in the final stages of the interview, the person made a comment or answered a question in a way that disqualified that person. When the person finds out later on how he should have answered that question or how she should have answered it, you know, there's a sense of regret that comes and you keep saying, I wish I knew, I wish I knew this. And if we are not careful, some people never recover from such regrets. Because in their hearts, they think this was a once in a lifetime opportunity. And what they are saying invariably is that they don't believe God can bring that opportunity or even something better into their lives again. And so they dwell on the mountain of that regret. What I'm saying is that we need to deal with that regret so that the enemy doesn't have access to keep troubling your life. All right, for some people, it's shame. Maybe when they were in the world, they got involved in different things. Um, um, just different things, you know, in the world. And that shame of what they experienced has not left them yet. Or even sometimes, in fact, it might even be a believer right now, a Christian that got involved in something. Maybe the person fall, fell into, sorry, person fell into fornication and, and they say this person was a leader in their fellowship or in their church. And the shame of that scene has, has held down onto the person or the person has held onto that shame and has not let it go, right? That would be a very valid door for the enemy to come and steal your peace and keep troubling you because of that event, all right? Um, or it may be guilt, you might be guilty. Something may have just happened and you feel guilty for it. Whatever um, emotion, whatever feeling it is in our soul, we need to let it go. If not, the enemy will always come back through that door to steal our peace away. 
And why this is super important is because the devil, by definition, is called the accuser of the brethren. And he always looks at, looks for opportunities to accuse the brethren on. And he takes advantage of mistakes, especially obvious you know, faults on our parts that, um, that he will use to bring accusations against us. You know, when we read Revelation chapter 12, verse 10, the last part of it refers to the devil as the accuser of the brethren. Let's, let's read it. Revelation chapter 12 and verse 10. Revelation chapter 12, verse 10. I know for many people, they have, things have lingered in their hearts for years. They really have not let go of it. It might be, I mean, just, just imagine a mother who, whose child died because she was probably busy in the kitchen and the, the child was around the swimming pool area and she did not know. The amount of grief and regret and guilt that would grip such a person is unimaginable. And if we if we don't, if it's not dealt with, if it's not dealt with at all, the enemy will always come back to steal the person's joy from such um, experience or from such event. So um, Revelation sorry, chapter 12, verse 10, it says, and I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now is come salvation and strength and the kingdom of God and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. He says, for the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. And this is the devil. So the devil's definition is that he's an accuser and his accusation is round the clock. You know, you go to sleep after work, the devil doesn't, doesn't go to sleep. He accuses day and night. So if we don't deal with those things that give him legal rights, or, or if we don't deal with, with the regret and the shame and any of those emotions, he will always have access into our lives to steal our peace and to affect us. So the question then is, how do we deal with such? Now, um, let me first of all say that this is a long explanation and we can't give, like we can't cover everything in this study. However, I'll just give us like, um, points that I believe would steer us in the right direction and we can build upon, okay? So the first thing is just exactly where we read, let's go to the next verse because we see the answer in the next verse. Look at verse 11 of Revelation chapter 12. It says, and they overcame him by the blood of the lamb. So this accuser who accused them day and night, the way they were able to overcome this accuser was by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto death. So the way to accuse the, to, sorry, to overcome the accuser is by the blood of the lamb and by the words of our testimony. Now, the blood of the lamb being that the blood of Jesus Christ was shed for anything that we have done, any sin, any mistake, anything we have done, even if it looks like, if it, even if it looks something, so, something as, trivial as um say missing a business opportunity you might ask so how does the blood of jesus come in here i'm saying that your mistake your error your sin whatever it is the blood of jesus christ was shed for it and you need to know how to appropriate the blood of jesus okay because the blood of jesus christ has already been shed it's not going to be shed the day you made that mistake so it has already been shed what you need to do is present that blood to the accuser because what the accuser does basically says, for instance, um, uh, it says, Choma, you did this thing. 
and I'm accusing you of doing it. And the accusation means you need to pay for what you have done. And so that guilt, that weight stays on your heart, right? But what you now need to do is to take the blood of Jesus and say, and say, to, say, to, the, say, say to the devil that, yes, I did this, but the blood of Jesus is the payment for what I have done. So we appropriate the blood of Jesus Christ in that way. Speak to the accuser and let him know. Number two is that it says they overcame by the blood of land and by the words of their testimony. That the testimony here more specifically speaks to what the blood of Jesus Christ has done for you. And this is where you need to speak to your own heart about what the blood of Jesus Christ has done. Just the same way David in several places in the book of Psalms had to say to his soul, and he said, my soul, why are you downcast? He says, my soul rejoice. You need to speak to yourself like that based on what the blood of Jesus Christ has done. So you need to tell yourself, oh, um, Victor, you did this, you made this mistake, you committed this sin, you fell into this error, but the blood of Jesus Christ has forgiven you. You have now become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Because from God's perspective, the blood has already been shed. He is aware of it. He has not forgotten. He knows it. But it is the devil and you that you need to always remind or appropriate the blood of Jesus Christ towards. All right. So um, that is one way. That is one way to deal with the voice of accusation in your in your life. All right. Now another way we can deal with this is. Um, looking at, and I, I need to read a scripture for to explain this. So let's read First John chapter chapter four, sorry, chapter three. I beg your pardon. I mean, it's still it's still closely related, but just to give us closely related to what I just shared now, but just give us um, to shed more light on it. First John chapter four, chapter three. Sorry, verse nineteen and twenty. First John chapter three, verse nineteen. And 20, <clears throat> it says, and hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts and knoweth all things. And I need to explain this verse to us. You know, God gave us our conscience, right? And even um, an unbeliever has a conscience. So every, every, created being, every created human has a conscience. And God gave us a conscience in our hearts so that we, we can know when we are going off course or when we are, you know, we're going beyond where what we should go, all right? Um, but more, more particularly for a believer, because our conscience has been ignited by the Holy Spirit, by the presence of the Holy Spirit, um, our conscience serves as a healthy indicator of whether we are doing wrong or right. Okay, so for instance, if somebody tells a lie, almost immediately, if a believer tells a lie, almost immediately your conscience will prick you that what you just said is misleading, what you just said is not true. And your conscience is an amazing tool in your life, okay? However, your conscience, you need to deal with your, deal with your conscience with wisdom. And what I mean is this, that even in instances where, for instance, you commit a a, a believer, let's say, tells a lie, for instance, now, and your conscience pricks you, you go and apologize to the person and tell the person what the truth is, you, you confess before God and you repent before God, your conscience can still be indicating red, you know, just assume your conscience is an indicator, all right, your conscience can still be indicating red, even though you've repented before God and 
apologize to that person, your conscience can still be condemning you and say, how can you do such a thing? And you call yourself a Christian and you call yourself a church leader and you call yourself this and that. How can you do such? Your conscience can still be pricking you in that regard. And the Bible, this is what, what um, the uh, book of John is saying, that even when your heart condemns you in such instances where you have repented, you've apologized and all of that, you need to remind yourself that God is greater than your heart. Because there are instances where people have maybe committed abortion or at some point gotten money illicitly, and then their conscience is still pricking them long after they've repented, long after they've forgiven um, or rather apologized or whatever the, the setting may be. Long after all of that has been sorted, their conscience is still condemning them for that action. I'm saying that if you don't deal with it, the enemy will have access to distort your peace every single time. And what you need to do in such cases is remind yourself that God is greater than your heart and he knows all things. He knows you've repented and he has, he has, he has forgiven you. He knows that you've apologized to the person or maybe even the person that you should apologize to, you don't not con contact the person again. And your conscience is still um, condemning you for that. The Bible says God is greater than your heart and he knows all things. So you need to remind your heart about this, all right? So what I said here is your conscience is a good indicator, but a bad driver. So your conscience is an indicator, or let me say that again, your conscience is a good indicator, but a bad driver. So don't make your conscience a, your driver. And what I mean is your conscience is a good indicator. Like it can let you know when you are going off course or not, but don't let your conscience be what will drive or direct your life permanently. Let the word of God be your driver. And the word of God says, if you repent, he, he would forgive you. And Bible says, anyone that comes to him, he will in no way cast away. That is what the word of God says. So go by what the word of God says, not only, not necessarily by what your conscience says. Your conscience can indicate to you when, when you are wrong, but don't let your conscience be the driver of your life. I hope that's clear enough. Okay, uh, we're almost out of time. Let me just go. Let me just uh, go to the last point, but mm, let me give an, we won't read scripture now, but I'll just give the story. Um, I'll just share the story as a summary, but I encourage you to read the whole, the whole scripture for that. So the story is found in second, second Samuel chapter 12, verse 19 to 23. Second Samuel chapter 12, verse 19 to 23. And this is the story of David, you know, um, David had done some really terrible things. He had connived for, first of all, he had slept with, with um, Uriah's wife and then connived with the people in the battlefield to put Uriah where the battle is hottest so that he will be killed. And that's what they did. And then the prophet came and told him, you are in trouble, that the sword will never leave your house and all of that. And so David was so sad. He went to repent before God. But then the, the, the baby that um, Bathsheba gave birth to, eventually fell sick, and David was so, so sad. He went to pray, saw the face of the Lord, fasted, but the baby eventually died. At this point, you would expect that David should be, should, should, his heart should be shattered, that guilt should, should even overwhelm him. First of all, you killed, a, you slept with a, a man's wife, you killed a man, now the baby that the woman gave birth to is sick, and the baby now died. It is your fault. You are the one responsible. You are a two-time murderer. 
David should have been enveloped with, with regret and guilt and shame. But this is what happened. After David found out that the child had died, the Bible says that David went, you know, went, had his bath, dressed up, went to the, went to the temple, worshipped God, came back to the palace and sat down to eat. And his servants could not just understand. They said to him, David, when this guy, when this baby was sick, you wanted to kill yourself with fasting and prayer. But now this baby has died and you just suddenly switched. We don't understand you. And David said, well, when I was alive, I was hoping God would heal him. But now that God has decided to take the baby, can I, can I bring the child back to life? No. So what am I going to do? I'd rather rejoice before God, celebrate, and move on with my life. And that mindset showed that David believed God could bring another child if he took one away. And this is where you need to come to. If you have regrets or shame or any negative experience that's happened in your life, tell yourself that what has happened in your past is nothing compared to what God has prepared for you in your future. There is no event that you or opportunity that you miss that God cannot restore seven times over. And if you have this mindset of something, even when you, it was your fault that it happened, go to God and worship God and say, God, I surrender that experience to you. I lay it down before you. And I know that you are God and there's nothing you cannot do. If you have that mindset, you will see your peace will be restored and what will come after that will be amazing. And I mean, we, we know the story. The child that was given back to after that, um, by the same woman is Solomon, and it's the same Solomon that we know to be the wisest person, same Solomon that took over from David as king, meaning from that shameful experience, God still brought forth a, a king. And I'm saying to you that there's no shame in your life that God cannot bring beauty out of. Look at this analogy again. If you plant a seed, right, let's say a seed of corn in a pile of rubble, a pile of dirt, or let's say by a dustbin, it's just a place that is really dirty, but there's, there's soil there. The corn will still grow regardless of the dirt around it. And this is God saying to you that I can still bring fruits out of a mess. I can still bring fruit out of the regrets and shame in your life. And you don't need to dwell in that any longer. Hallelujah. And again, I just feel like there are people here listening to me that you, there's something that you feel shameful about. There's something that you're regretting about in your life. There's something you feel guilty about. And God is saying to you that no matter the depth of that experience, I can still bring life out of it. I can still bring flowers out of it. You don't need to dwell on that situation any longer. I have forgiven you. You don't need to dwell on that situation any longer. Hallelujah. All right, let's hurry up. Um, the last thing I have here is, um, so remember we, we're talking about things that we, we that that we allow that gives access to um, the devil that gives the devil permission in our lives to you know affect our peace and distort our stability. All right. So first thing we looked at is being in a place that God did not send you to. Second thing we looked at is. Um, entertaining high maintenance relationships. The third thing we said is allowing emotions from past mistakes or negative experience to linger in your life. Now, the fourth thing and the final thing we're looking at, I'll just run through this quickly, is pressure and overwhelm, allowing pressure and overwhelm in our lives, all right? And this is one of the ways the enemy tries to steal our peace. Um, experiences of you know, when there's pressure or when we feel overwhelmed. 
And this may look like a natural thing, but if we do not address it, then it gives the devil access to, you know, to just mess us up and, and steal our peace, um, essentially, all right? And this is true in different areas of our lives. There are, there are times we feel pressure from maybe just, just our own personal life. You feel like, oh, there's something you should be doing at this stage of your life and you're not, you're not doing it. And you just feel a lot of pressure about, about, that, about that issue, all right? It might be you feel like, oh, you should be in a certain level in life. You, might, you should be <clears throat> working at a certain um, you know, level. You should be on a certain rank in your office. Or by this stage of your life, you should be married. Or by this stage of your life, you should have an academic, a certain academic degree or qualification. And you've not just gotten it. And you just feel pressure. That's self-pressure that comes on you. Or it might even be pressure that comes from maybe family, all right? Or it might be pressure that comes from finances. There are bills to pay. There's this, there's that, there's that. And who everything just feels tight. You feel like the whole world is on your shoulder. You feel overwhelmed. There's requests from left, right. There's demands from you in the office. There's demands from your husband. There's demands from your place of work um, or your business. There's demands from your cousins. There's demands from your... There's just demands everywhere. And you feel overwhelmed. These things can subtly open a door for the enemy to begin to steal our peace, all right? And um, what should we do? Especially for the, in the cases of pressure and overwhelm, what, what, what are some of the things we can do? So let me read a verse of scripture that is, um, that is quite instructive from the book of Proverbs. Uh, we're wrapping up very soon. From the book of Proverbs, Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 6, verse and verse 6, Proverbs chapter 6, verse 6, talks about the ants, those tiny, interesting, interesting creatures, all right? So verse, verse 6 says, Proverbs chapter 6, verse 6 says, Go to the ants, thou sluggard, consider her ways, and be wise. Which, having no guide, overseer, or ruler, provides her meat in the summer, and gather, gathers her food, her food in the harvest, Right, let, let me end there, verse 8. So it says, go to the, to the ant. And there are so many lessons to learn from the ant, but the one I just want to point out for us um, at this moment is in verse 8 that says, provides her meat in the summer and gathers her food in the harvest. And this talks about planning. As simple as planning may seem, or let, let me say it this way, as secular as planning may seem, it is a very spiritual concept that God endorses. You know, when we talk of faith, most times we, we refer to faith from a spontaneous um, perspective where God just speaks to you. For, and again, we use Abraham as a very good example. God speaks to Abraham and then Abraham immediately just packs his bag and starts moving. You know, that story doesn't reflect planning in, uh, in, in a way. It doesn't show that there was planning as such, right? At least on the surface, it doesn't show, it doesn't show that. And so our idea of faith is spontaneity. So what Christians have tra now translated that to mean is, for instance, somebody has rented an apartment, you know that in 12 months time, your rent will be due. But the person doesn't say for his rent, they just says God will provide. Then two months to when your rent is due, you begin to have faith and confess that God should provide my need. Doors are open to me. He'll call forth ravens to give me, to feed me. And we practice fire brigade faith 
because that is the way we understand faith to be, to, to be for the most part. And also because we heard people's testimony that says, oh, one week to my rent being due, somebody just called me and said, God spoke to me to transfer money to you. And the money was exactly my house rent. And that's how I paid my rent. And with those kind of testimonies, we've unconsciously adopted it to be the pattern of faith. But that is not what the Bible teaches. Spontaneity is not necessarily faith, all right? And a good example is the story of Noah. When God spoke to Noah, Noah began building an ark. He spent years building the ark even before rain came. It was not two weeks to when the rain was coming. In fact, Noah didn't even know, probably didn't even know the day the rain was going to come. So it was not at a short notice when he saw the clouds gathering. He said, oh my God, let's, I'm a man of faith. I can do this in short time. No. Noah spent time planning and building the ark. And in fact, God gave him the plan for how the ark should be built. So many times when we feel pressure or overwhelm, it is usually a symptom or, or a pointer for the need to plan. So you might see expenses coming left, right, center, and you just feel overwhelmed with bills. Sit down and, and say to the Holy Ghost, Holy Ghost, help me to plan these things out. From those bills, I can assure you, you'll see things that are not that are urgent but not important. You'll see things that are urgent and important. You'll see things that are important but not urgent. You'll see things that are not urgent and not important. And by the wisdom of God, you know how to organize your finances around it. All right. And just is just an example for finances. And in fact, another example which is something I wrote down here is still talking about finances. It's just learning to say no to some, no, no to people. Somebody calls you, hey, um, Brother Silas, Brother Silas, I need money. So another person calls you, I say, Brother Silas, you know the work of God in my hand requires the shoulders of men to carry on. We require a contribution, a, a free will donation. In essence, they're asking for money. Another person calls and says, you know, Brother Silas, Brother Silas there's this, I want to buy this phone. I have, I have, 80% of the money, I just need 20%. And because you are a good man, you just say, ah, it's just 20%. See, you need to learn to say no to some things. You will not die. They will not die. God will pro provide for them through another means, just the same way he's providing for you. But just learning to say no, you will notice that some weights on pressure will just, you just, you know, go off your shoulder. Or maybe you have a friend that sells bags or shoes and they come and say, especially this happens mostly for ladies, I know, um, and they come and say, you know, this bag is so nice and everything. And you say, wow, I say, you like it? So I say, yes, I like it. You know, red velvet is my best color. And say, you, that's why I thought of you when I saw this bag. You know what? Take the bag. Don't worry. Pay me at the end of the month. That, that is, it sounds, it sounds subtle, but that has already put you in debt. And by the time end of the month comes, you are doing your budget for your, for your salary. And there's this amount of money that is going for a bag you collected three weeks ago. You can learn to say no from the start. You don't have to buy everything. You don't need to let anybody pressure you into it. So what I'm saying in essence is, as most times for when it comes to pressure or overwhelm, usually planning goes a long way to, um, to deflate that pressure, goes a long way. There's something my father taught me several years ago, maybe I was in university or just maybe just left um, secondary school when well, he said something to me that I will never forget he said never make a decision out of pressure 
that somebody calls you, you know, then in, in, in that case, right? They called me, let's call my dad from the village and say, oh, I should call more grandma, grandma, grandma. And my dad will just hurry up and travel. And by the time he travels, he now finds out that he didn't need to travel in the first place. And it can be so annoying. So one day he, he told, he shared what he had learned. Never make a decision out of pressure, out of haste. They are saying, you must do it now, now, now. Mm -mm, calm down. As long as human life is not involved, calm down. Nobody will die. As long as it's not a life and death, life or death matter, it's not a medical emergency. If it's not anything like that, calm down. There's nothing that you won't want, they, will, they are selling to you now that will not be available tomorrow. Calm down. Don't put yourself under such pressure. All right? Okay, so I'm going to end on this note. Our time is far gone. Um, I just wanted to make sure we cover this so that next week we'll devote it to prayers, all right? Okay, so I hope we've learned a thing or two about this. Um, what I want to hear from maybe like two people is, or three people at most is, what experience have you found yourself a victim of? You don't need to go into details if, you, if it's like very personal, but what is, I mean, just we want to know, uh, I, I would love to know, have you found yourself, have you found yourself a victim of any of these things we shared? Um, just for context, let me go over things we shared quickly. Um, the one we said, um, being in a place or in, in, a, in a place anyways, whether a relationship or a job or anything, or a city, should I just be in a place that God did not send you to, or being in a high maintenance relationship, or being a um, victim of, of past emotions, sorry, um, emotions from past mistakes or negative experiences, or finally, you just experiencing over, um, pressure and overwhelm. So I'd love to hear from you. Which of these have you been, um, have you experienced yourself? Which of these have you experienced yourself? Anyone wants to share with us, you know, something from the experience that um, we have talked about? Again, like I said, you don't have to go into details um, if it's personal, but we'd just like to, I'd just like to know that this resonates with us. And so tell me what, which of these actually resonates with you. Either you've, been a, you've experienced it personally or maybe somebody close to you have experienced one of these things. Um, please feel free to share with us quickly. The floor is open. For those of us on MixLR, um, feel free to type in your, type in your comments um, in the chat, let us know. Okay, I'm still waiting for us. Um, anybody on Zoom wants to share something that, um, what any of these experiences that, or any of the things we've shared rather that resonates with, with them. Anybody wants to go? Choma, Silas, Bemi Sola, Emily, Annie, anybody wants to share on Zoom their experience with us? Um, good evening, everyone. Good evening. So, um, first of all, I want to say thank you for, for this beautiful sermon. That um, basically, I've been, would I say, uh, reminiscing things on, on basically all part of my life. And then I can't even say, oh, I couldn't, like, I can't mess with all of the examples you gave and all of the scenarios you gave. First of all, family pressure, time maintenance, friendships, 
so many things, even lack of peace in some relationships or even some friendships, everything. I don't want to go in depth. I mean, I don't know who's on this life. But yeah, I'm just saying that I mean, I feel like everybody, one way or other, would have experienced all of all these things. And then there's one major thing that you said that the Holy Spirit has been trying to tell me since where you said he leads us beside still waters. So basically, you said that any relationship that does not give you peace means God is not there. Mm. And then, I guess it was when I realized that, um, I just realized it recently that I knew that, okay. So I, 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 I no longer get angry or get disappointed when things don't work my way every time because mm. I'm like, if this is not giving me peace, meaning God is not even here in the first place, so let it just go. And has has made me find peace in so many things. If I was really troubled, I was really troubled that I felt like, oh, maybe I was behind. So many scenarios where I'll be like, okay, God, I'm supposed to be this in this place, in this particular place at this point. I, I, want, I want this, but then I'm not getting it. I'm seeing a different result than what I want. And then when somebody, when like this scripture, actually they preached about it in church on if you don't have peace in whatever it is you're doing, mm. God is not there. So it just made me drop off so many things, so many burdens like that. that I would, normally I was carrying due to lack of like information, that's basically information, it's word of God and everything. So I feel like that just, that just, it's basically like when the Holy Spirit is putting hammer on it again, like, okay, mm-hmm. this is the second time I'm trying to tell you. Now I'm not going to stress myself. If it's not giving me, if I'm if I'm more calm, if it's not giving me peace, I, I should have not gone there again. And then a lot of family keep pressures of the, the act of saying no. I'm one person that I don't like saying no. If you ask for it now, I'll I'll rather displease myself. Mm-hmm. But then I've been trying to work on that. You said there's something that, of course, I, should ha- I shouldn't have done. But then I just did it because, oh, like I said, high maintenance friendship and everything. But then now that it's coming back again, means God is trying to tell me that, okay, you need to work on this, this aspect of saying no to people. Mm. If, if they are angry, explain to them. Thank you. Yes, amazing, amazing. Thank you so much um, for sharing, Choma. And, you know, I, I also used to be that kind of person who wants to help and my wife, my wife, I feel like God has used my wife to help me a lot because sometimes she just reminds me, I say, Victor, you know, you're not Jesus Christ. You can't save everybody. You can't help everybody. And that's a very valid reminder that we should have. So, um, yeah, I totally also resonate with that as you shared. Thank you very much, Shoma. One more person in, before we go in just say 30 seconds before we go. One more person wants to share from their own experience um what part of this resonates with them okay um is there anyone like that i do not see okay um okay well if you just case anyone is warming up to speak um before we go, like, I would love to hear from us. Just drop in the comment section one thing you learned today that you are going back with. One thing you learned today that you are going back home, you're going 
I was going to say going back home, but most of us are already at home. But yeah, you're going, you're taking away from today's Bible study. Please just drop it in the comment section. And if anybody's, yeah, I can, someone just spoke, I can hear you. Don't forget to unmute your mic if you're speaking. Okay. I have something to say. Oh, okay, bro. All right, go ahead. Please, what, Though what, I came very late, I came very late, but uh, I was just getting into the house when I had a striking point. I take out my pen to write it down. Okay. The point I got was that um, how to cut down unnecessary expenses. Uh, you have to weigh the needs and the pressure and the ones coming your way with these parameters. Number one, is it urgent and is it important? Number two, is it urgent and urgent and not important? That's the second parameter. And then the third parameter is not urgent but important. And then lastly, not urgent and not and not important. So if we're able to weigh the pressure, the needs, and the wants coming away with this parameter. It to save us a great deal in cutting down on necessary expenses. Once it's not urgent and not important, that's a cancel. That's that's already a no go area. Once it's not urgent but important, we may want to attend to it. No, and I want to leave. However, we have all we need. Or I don't mm -hmm. know. Maybe I don't understand the point very well. Maybe you can throw more light on it. <laughs> okay. But for yeah. me, that was, that was the point I got that we should learn to cut down expenses using these parameters: urgent and important urgent and not important, not urgent, but important, not urgent, not important. I don't know if I captured correctly because I have overheard you say it in passing. Okay, okay. Yeah, um, okay, I mean, time will permit us to like go into details, but I could just run through that quickly. Um, so okay. something is something urgent um, and important, obviously you need to do it right now. And oh, that may just be yeah. credence to either it could be something spontaneous that came up or just the fact that you didn't capture, you, know, you didn't capture a possibility and so you didn't plan for it and then just crept yeah. up on it immediately. If something is yeah. urgent but not important, you shouldn't do it. It's just a trick. And a very good example is when you go to shops, they say on sale, on sale for the next two mm. days. It conveys yeah. a sense of urgency, but if you really don't need that thing, then you don't need to do it. Um, so avoid yeah. such things. If something is yeah. urgent, sorry, if something is not urgent but important, then you want to plan for it properly because it will come up, okay. it will come eventually. For instance, your yeah. house rent, right? If your house rent is due in the next 12 months, it is important, but yeah. at this point is not yet urgent. So take That's your right. time, plan for it, save monthly, and all of that. If something yeah. is not urgent and not important, it's just a distraction from the devil. Don't okay. end in it here. Thank you so much. I think I, I've got a, a better import of it. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you. Okay, let me read on. Mixeller, um, Idara says, I can relate with point four. Planning works for me when everything is all over the place. I have also made a decision in haste and fell into what seems to be a scam. I definitely still regret, regret it, but recently I have chosen to forgive myself and trust God to restore. Thank you so much, Idara. That was very helpful. Um, okay, yeah. Thank you so much for that. All right, we're going to close right away. Uh, please just drop in the comment section something you learned. If you haven't shared anything, uh, please just drop in the comment section something you learned, and we would 
uh, read it out so everyone can learn from it. Okay, let's close with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for teaching us today. We thank you for inspiring your word in our hearts. Thank you for guiding us in the path of peace. Lord, we thank you for the promise of peace that you have given to us. For you said you lead us by still waters. And we thank you because this is a promise we can hold on to. Father, I pray today specifically for anyone here who has an experience that is causing regret or shame or guilt, and they have not been able to let go of it. I pray that by the power of your spirit, you help them, oh Lord, uh, let go of such in the name of Jesus Christ. Father, we pray that you do a work in their hearts and let the grip that the enemy has on their heart, let it loosen forever in the name of Jesus Christ. Teach us wisdom by your spirit, O Lord, that we know how to attend to the affairs of life so that we will not consciously or unconsciously open doors that the enemy will take advantage of and rob us of our peace. Thank you in the name of Jesus Christ. We declare your peace over every area of our life. We declare that your peace governs the experiences of our lives. Thank you, dear Lord, for in Jesus' mighty name we have prayed. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. All right. Thank you so much, everyone, for joining us today. We'll see you next week, same time. Um, next week, we'll spend time praying. It's the last Tuesday of the, of the month, so we'll devote it to prayers. Please come. Uh, we're going to really, really practice praying and declaring God's peace and praying God's peace into different areas of our lives. So please, I encourage you to come and also invite a friend with you. All right. God bless you all. Have a wonderful um, remaining part of your day, and we will see you next week. Bye.